Good morning, guys. My name is Preston Miller, and I'm on staff here at FPC as a youth assistant helper guy. And I'm also part of the launch team. Uh, as we continue in our season of stewardship, it is only by God's grace that we are able to give our, our time, talents, treasures, and testimonies for the glory of God. Our passage today is a short verse from the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 35, quoting Jesus's words about the blessing of giving. I invite you guys to follow along in your own Bibles or look up to the screens as I read the passage aloud. Hear the word of the Lord. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now join me in reading the responsive reading on the screens. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. And thank you, Preston. We do pay him. So he is a real legit youth guy here. Yeah. <laughs> we love Preston. Good morning. Welcome. We're so glad you guys are here. What a beautiful morning it is to celebrate together what God has done in our lives. I'm Becky Pritchard, one of the pastors on staff, for those who don't know me. And if you'd saw me, seen me an hour ago, you would have thought, did you forget to wear clothes today? I, I had clothes on. They were just pajamas. Um, as you saw Knox in his pajamas this morning, all of our kids had our PJs and pancakes like Carrie described, or PJs and tacos. We had breakfast tacos. And it was a joyful morning full of thanksgiving and gratitude and giving, which is perfectly aligned with our stewardship season this year. Um, thank you, Preston, for reading our verse in Acts. As you know, we've been going through the book of Acts this fall. And today is our second stewardship Sunday, and we'll talk a little bit about what that means in a minute. But have your Bibles ready. Um, we'll have the, the passage on the screen kind of going back and forth between an Acts passage and one in 2 Corinthians. So if you have your Bible ready, we're going to do a little Bible gymnastics this morning. But hang in tight. It'll be all okay. Uh, before we dive in, let us begin with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So throughout our series on witness this fall, we've seen stories of people throughout the book of Acts who have pointed others to Jesus Christ, showing about the goodness of Jesus. Um, and one of the ways that we as God's people can show others Jesus Christ is through giving giving of boxes, giving of our time, giving of our treasure. And so we're going to see how Jesus' quoted words in Acts impact our lives today. Stewardship is a churchy word. If you weren't here last week, we talked a little bit about stewardship. It's a word to describe the gifts that God has given us that we are called to give back for God's glory. Not for our own selves, not, for, not out of obligation, but because God has blessed us in the first place. Through his grace and his love, he has abundantly blessed us. And so we can give in lots of different ways. We can give by singing in the choir we, and using our talents and our voices. John is a beautiful musician. Thank you, John, for leading us in worship. Um, and he gives his time and his talent to share for the glory of God. You can give money. You can give um, your testimony. Like we talked about last week, Paul giving his testimony for the glory of God so that others might see Jesus. So when we give, we have these opportunities to give in many ways. 
The perfect example of stewardship knocks, thank you so much for sharing with us today, um, happened downstairs in our children's ministry. And many of you throughout the congregation also took a box home in October, filled it up, went to HEB or Target or wherever you, dollar store, and filled all the little prizes in it, little things that people across the world might not have. We watched a video from Operation Christmas Child this morning and a little girl just wanted markers so bad and her mom couldn't afford the markers. And so she opened her box and there were markers. And so God blessed her in that way. But more important than the toys in the boxes is Samaritan's Purse teaches about Jesus Christ to all of these kids and their families. They have a discipleship program that's 12 weeks long where it points these kids to who Jesus is and so that they can learn to trust Jesus with their lives. They're given resources and books and Bibles and things that we just have laying around the house. I mean, I think we probably, if I counted, have nine Bibles in my house. Some people have never even touched a Bible. So stewardship is giving far beyond just the things in the box. So thank you to our kids and our congregation for participating in that way. This is stewardship in action, and it's a great opportunity to serve. So let's, let's begin by looking in Acts 20. The, the one verse that we're quoting today um, is found right at the end of a talk that Paul is giving to the leaders of the church in Ephesus. So these are like the elders, the people in charge. And Paul is encouraging them, and he's encouraging them to submit to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that will come upon them, transform their lives. They will start to live and act differently because of the power of the Spirit, and that he was giving a little bit of a warning about the hardships that they may face as leaders, about some of the things that they might encounter as leaders. And at the end of, he gives examples from his own life, how the Holy Spirit has transformed him. We looked at that last week in his testimony of true, like, Saul to Paul transformation big time. And at the very end of his talk, in verse 35, he says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus. This is a quote. It's one of the only quotes in Acts of what Jesus has said. How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So we may have heard this before. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed. It kind of feels like a platitude or it feels like, you know, one of those golden rule type things, like, you know, find it on a bookmark. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Let's unpack it a little bit. Do we really believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive? What does Jesus mean here? Why is Paul quoting Jesus? Is he trying to make the Ephesian elders feel like they aren't doing enough? Is he trying to guilt them and be like, well, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive? Do we actually believe that it's more blessed to give than to receive? It's tricky. This is a very tricky thing. But he's reminding these elders of the words of Jesus. These are important and significant words. He's taught these words before to them. He's encouraged them with these words. And he's reminding them of this truth from Jesus as they continue to lead and to share. As we know, in life, we can get discouraged and tired. And so he's trying to remind these elders. He's not trying to guilt trip them to say, oh, you aren't giving enough. It's reminding them of Jesus's words. So is it more blessed to give than to receive? That's the question of the hour. Let's talk about giving for a moment. As people who know and follow Christ, we are called to give of ourselves, to give our time and our money. That is stewardship. But unfortunately, the idea of giving has gotten completely warped in our world. Our world teaches us to hoard, 
to save, to not give, and to sort of separate your possessions from my possessions, your candy from my candy. And we've gotten these mixed messages in our world. It's so easy to think of giving as me-centered. Here's what I have made. Here is what I can give. Here is what my contribution is. And we put ourselves at the start and at the end of giving. Something about how what we have either ends up with great generosity and we get lots of credit for the amount that we give, or we become really stingy and people think that we're, you know, like mean and we don't like to give money. So we, we're, it's all about us, right? And we've warped it into thinking that it's us focused. But what if we focused on giving as God-centered? What if it begins and ends with God? What if instead of saying it's my money, my talent, my good voice, my excellent leadership, my, you know, my time that I spent volunteering and cutting out things, whatever it might be, I don't know what you do. Take, we, we take ourselves out of it and we gain this whole new perspective, remembering that it's really not ours in the first place, that everything that has been created is God's. What if we gained a new perspective? That's true stewardship. But in order to gain that perspective, we first need to understand that God did in fact create all that is, everything. The earth, what we live in, Psalm 24 says that the earth is the Lord's and everything and all who live in it are his. That includes you and me. It includes the gifts, the like physical gifts that we have. It includes our time. God is the God of all of time, everything. So as people who know God, we must first acknowledge that it is God's, all of it. Every single piece of everything that we encounter every single day is created and given by God. Do we agree? Yes. Then why do we think it's ours? It's mine, it's my box. You can't have it, it's my box. This is our human nature, right? Is to cling to our possessions and we don't want to give them away. But all of it is God's. Secondly, secondly, not only did God create everything, it's all his in the first place, but he generously, abundantly gave us these things while we're on earth out of his grace for us. He could have just left it all for himself, yet he created a world in which we might live, one where we can enjoy the bountiful blessings that he has created, whether it be from our earth or from the cre created things that we've made and all those different things, but we don't deserve any of it. We didn't earn it. It is not ours. We didn't create it. We did nothing to receive it. It was just generously given out of his grace for us. And guess what? There's enough. It's abundant. The blessings are endless. God's love is never ending. God's grace is constant. And he provides us with everything we need. So why do we keep doubting? It's my box. Why do we keep doubting God's provision for us? His promises are that he would provide for his people. He generously gives of his love to us. The warped world tells us it's our money and we earned it. I went to voice lessons my whole life. I practiced hard so that I can serve with my voice for God. 
Whatever it might be, I went to school so I could be accountant so that I could use my gifts to count the money at church and help on the stewardship and finance committee. My gifts that I've earned, that I've worked hard for. Why do we put ourselves at the center? These gifts are not ours. They're treasures that are given to us out of God's love for us. And finally, when we give to others what God has given to us, not only we acknowledge that he created it, we, we acknowledge that he generously gives it to us out of his grace, and finally, we share it because he's glorified in our sharing. Not so that we can boast and say, woohoo, Becky Pritchard, she gave X amount of money and we're so excited because she you know, put the new stained glass window up in the building. But so that God might be glorified. All the things around this church that have nameplates that show who gave, they gave to the glory of God. So that we can look at stained glass windows and worship God in a way that is powerful and majestic and mighty and not so that they can get a lot of credit giving for the glory of God because God is pleased when we show gratitude, when we're thankful and we give, God is glorified. It starts with God and it ends with God. So we're going to jump to quickly to another passage. Bob's going to put it up on the screen for us from 2 Corinthians 8. This is another passage that talks about gratitude and giving and God's glory and why we do it all in the first place. And Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He's asking them for them to give money for the relief of the saints. He's like, hey guys, there's some people doing some work for Jesus in another place. They need some money. Can you please give for relief of the saints? So let me read you just a bit of what Paul says here. In verse one, he says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Okay, I'm gonna stop right there for a second. Please take note, severe test of affliction, yet abundance of joy, yet extreme poverty, wait, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Affliction and poverty, joy and abundance, wealth of generosity. Affliction and poverty equals joy and wealth of generosity. Okay, we're just gonna keep on plugging through. Verse three, for they, have, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Okay, so he's using this church in Macedonia. Paul is using this church as an illustration and he's saying, hey guys, People in Corinth, listen up. These Macedonian Christians, they love Jesus. They really do. But guess what? They have been severely afflicted and they are incredibly poor. And yet they're still giving. They're giving not only what is suitable for them to give, not just their 10%, but they're giving beyond, even though Paul has said, no, no, that's okay. Don't give beyond your means. They just are so full of joy for the Lord, that they are giving out of a wealth of generosity on their part. I don't want to live in Macedonia. It doesn't sound fun. Poor and afflicted, a lot of Christians at this time were very poor. They had lost their livelihoods because they had turned to Jesus, and a lot of people wouldn't come and shop at their shops. They wouldn't buy things from them because they were so 
afraid of associating with somebody who followed Jesus. So a lot of these Macedonians, a lot of these new Christians didn't come from the upper classes in the first place, and they were very poor and afflicted. But notice how Paul begins first in verse one by talking about the grace of God. Before he talks about the Macedonians, it starts with God. The grace of God, again, not putting ourselves at the center of it, not glorifying the Macedonians, but the grace of God has been given to the churches in Macedonia. It starts with God's grace. And then he continues to share about their affliction and their poverty, but yet they had abundance of joy. How do we feel when we're afflicted? Feeling pretty joyful, right? When you're getting a little pressure and when people are not very nice to you and you're feeling a little bit like in the wrong spot, we don't feel very joyful. Often we grumble, we complain, we're frustrated, we're tired, we're irritated, and we don't want to be a part of whatever that is. We're going to kind of set up a hard boundary, move on, be in a better place so people don't bother us. How do we feel when we're poor? Are we free to give generously or are we scared? Do we hoard our possessions and say, oh, I only have the two pennies left. I couldn't possibly give anything away. The story of the widow who gave her two last pennies, even though all the other people in the synagogue were giving more, all she had left was two pennies, and she gave it. When we're poor, we don't feel very generous. Our sinful nature leads us to fear, to be scared, I don't have enough. There's not going to be enough. How will I make it? But yet these people in Macedonia gave with abundant generosity. Their lives are so different than ours, it's hard for us to relate. Here we are in the United States, 2022. We're, in, we're all clothed with shoes on. We got here. We have food in our bellies. And so it's hard to relate to the afflicted poor Christians of Macedonia. But what a great example for us that it starts with God's grace and then we give out of the overflow of his love for us. They gave themselves first to the Lord. They gave them themselves, them, their whole selves, first to the Lord. Not just part of themselves, not just their left hand, because that's what's good at doing the jobs, or just 10% of their lives, but their whole selves. They were saturated in the love of God, and they gave their whole selves to God first. To the Lord, and then, according to God's will, to other people. They were so wrapped in the grace of God, they'd found Jesus out of the joy and out of the response to that grace, they couldn't help but give of their own selves and possessions. So what would it look like for us, for you and me, to give our whole selves to God? Like literally everything we have to truly trust it, A to Z, start to finish, to God. What kind of sacrifice would that take? What kind of letting go is God calling us to, to open our hands and let God direct Everything that we have, talents, possessions, money, our stories, our time. I am so selfish with my time, you guys. This is like my biggest sin problem. I like a lot of sleep, nine hours, hopefully, every night. And if I don't get my sleep, I start to get crabby and irritable. And I'm like, oh, I, I have really strong boundaries when it comes to time. I've got two young kids, lots to go on. And I get really selfish and centered focused, me focused when it comes to my time. But God is calling me to let go. Give him my time instead of 
trying to protect all that I have and trust that he will then provide for me the way that I need, whether that's sleep or not, whether that's time with family or not, God will provide when I trust in him. The problem is we let the world dictate where we spend our time. Instead of listening to God's direction, we're saying, okay, my boss needs this from me and my, you know, my birthday party, the kindergartners have birthday parties all the time, right? The birthday parties, whatever it is that the world is telling us to give our time to and we feel torn and we feel broken and we feel stressed, instead of sitting down each morning and saying, God, today is your day. The time that I have today is limited and let it be for your glory, right? Giving up giving everything we have first to the Lord, mind, body, and soul. Later on in 2 Corinthians, we don't have a a slide for this one, but verse nine, this is the clincher, guys. This is where it hits home. This is where we are challenged by Jesus Christ himself giving his life for us. Verse nine says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, starting with grace. That though he was rich, yet for for your sake, For your sake, Knox, for your sake, for your sake, for our sake, for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus left the heavenly realms where he was full of richness with the Father to literally put on flesh to come to this earth to be poor, and as John said earlier, this gross, broken, I don't remember the word, grimy world that we live in for you, because he loves you, because God had a plan for you. Paul has taken the illustration from how much money should I give, what are the guidelines for being a Christian, and how should I follow them just so, and he's blown it out of the water. It's not about guidelines, it's about what Christ has done for you by giving up all the riches to come and to live in this grimy, gross world. And guess what? Not just that, he also died on the cross for us, a death that we deserved, giving up riches to become poor, emptying himself so that we might be rich. Does that mean we're going to be super prosperous all the time? This is not prosperity gospel. This is not saying trust in Jesus and all of your bills will be paid. That is not what we believe. Look at the Macedonians. They trusted in Jesus and yet they were still poor and afflicted. We still live in a broken, sinful world and it's a hard place to live. But what we have is the love of God and the hope of a future in eternity with him, the hope that this world will not be broken forever, that he will return to redeem the world, and we can trust in him, giving it up to God. This is the grace we're talking about, grace enough to die for us. The grace begin when we know Jesus, when we've been saturated in his love, when we've really encountered Jesus for the first time and we see that, oh my gosh, I can't believe he would forgive me for all those horrible sins that I've done. I can't believe that he loves me as much to die for me. That grace begins to fill us up to overflowing. We begin to brim over the love and grace of Christ. And that is what Jesus is getting at, that it is more blessed to give than to receive, because when we acknowledge that none of it's ours, it's fun to give away other people's money, right? Don't you love it when like your mom gives you 20 bucks and you're like, okay, dinner costs $3, so I've got 
dinner never costs $3, but let's just say it did. He got 17 more dollars. And it's like, ooh, it's fun to give away other people's money. God has given us gifts and he's saying, give it away to other people so that I might be glorified. I love this quote. John Piper, he, he makes this quote about this overflowing type of giving. Piper says, we are made to be a conduit. When the water, the living water from Jesus is flowing freely from God into you, satisfying your soul, it then flows out in generosity. When the living water is poured into our hearts and our minds and our bodies, and we are satisfied by that water, it overflows to the people around us. That is such a great image of being satisfied enough by God's love that we can't help but have it come out to everyone around us. It makes sense when it begins and ends with God, Alpha, Omega, beginning, end. If we begin and end with God in our giving, then we begin and end with his grace and his glory. And in the middle, we just get to be grateful for the opportunity to be used by him as a conduit to share his love with other people. So why are we so scared to give? Why does it when we have a season of stewardship and we ask people to give money, everyone clams up and gets scared and they're like, whoa, or when we pass those offering buckets and people are like, I don't know, because let me tell you this, downstairs in our children's program, our kids are like joyfully giving. Every VBS we take offering and these kids come with like their sparkly tooth fairy money and they want to give it all to the church and they don't care. They just want to give it away. So at what point in our lives did our minds change from this gracious, generous generosity to fear and hoarding? At what point did it switch for us from that childhood freedom of giving and, you know, wanting to share with friends and wanting to give things? Kids don't always like to share, but you get what I'm saying to just kind of this hoarding and this fear. Why are we so scared? It's because we're mixed up in the messages of this world. We've been told there's not enough. We've been told to save it for ourselves and our kids and our grandkids. We're told that we need to hold on to things just in case. Think about the toilet paper craze in early COVID, right? Like nothing is more traumatic than walking into a grocery store and there's like no toilet paper and you're going, and so all of a sudden you start seeing people like load their carts and you're like, well, I guess I should too. I mean, I don't even know. And then there's no milk and then there's no meat. I mean, I still have like images of those days. And that was like fearful. Like, what am I going to do without toilet paper? You know, but did we need to hoard 55 rolls, Colby? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But it was, I mean, I'm, no, he didn't really. Um, but we, you know, in the sense that when we watch other people do it, we start to kind of think, oh my gosh, is there not going to be enough for me? I should get some for my friends and I should get some for my neighbors. And what if I'm not going to have enough? That is not the message of Jesus Christ. That is what the world has told us to rush out and to save for yourself and get only what you need. Forget the rest of them because just take care of yourself. That is not the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus calls us to graciously give, knowing that there's going to be more than enough and more than enough and more than enough and more than enough. Let's not hold on so tightly to the things of this world, but instead hold tightly to the promises of God 
hold tightly to the love of God. We've also messed up the message of giving even in the church world. We've become, often religion gets a bad name because we've warped this sort of feeling of obligation. If you go to church, you have to give. And we don't maybe teach it right from, the, from an early age that we just give money and we don't know why and we don't know how much and we want to follow the rules and we have these guidelines for giving and we feel like we can check the boxes. Okay, I gave that and then I gave that. But when we step back and we realize that, again, this is a holistic look at God's things, God's creation that he's given to us to use, when we are those conduits that just the water flows through and out to other people around us, when we receive from God, we then can give. So is it more blessed to give than to receive? Well, first we must receive the richness of his love. First we must saturate in who Jesus is. We must enjoy salvation in Christ and encounter the living God and be transformed by the power of the Spirit so our lives look different, so that we can't help but give, so that we can't help but share that with other people. We have nothing apart from God. We have nothing to give apart from what God has given us. When we finally wake up and understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we see that transformational grace and forgiveness he offers, our lives are changed. We don't have to be scared anymore. Friends, do we trust that God will provide for us? I don't always trust that. I struggle. My sin tells me, nope. You got to provide for yourself because he may not provide for you. But we're reminded by the words of scripture, the Holy Spirit has to do the work because I know I can't do it on my own, to be reminded that yes, he will. His promises are true. He is the great provider and it will be abundant. Do we understand this gospel of grace? Have you experienced Jesus in this way that is so saturating, so overflowing that you can't help but give it to others? If you are new here and have not experienced that, we invite you later in the service to come up, talk to one of our prayer team, talk to one of our staff, ask the questions that you have. Do you really mean to tell me that God is gonna provide for me even if I get sick, or even if I lose my job, or even if X, Y, Z happens to me? Yes. Jesus is big enough and good enough to heal and to, to provide and to walk with us. Some of us might need healing from the way that we've been taught about money and giving and our time and all of the things that have sort of warped our perspective on this. Giving up the fear and living in the grace. This is not what God wants for his people. He doesn't want us to hoard the toilet paper, to run around frantically trying to get what we can. God is gonna take care of us even in the worst of circumstances, just like the Macedonians, poor and afflicted, man, I don't wanna be there. But yet, with joy, they gave generously. This is not meant to bring guilt. This is not meant, this whole stewardship season, when you get this in the mail and you're like, oh, okay, we gotta give, we gotta figure out what our family's gonna give. This is meant to bring joy as we look at what God has done for us. Next week, we'll invite you to bring these forward. We'll have a moment in our service. This is an act of worship, literally laying at the altar what is God's. 
right? We're going to have a chance to bring them up to the front. And we want kids and youth, we want you to participate with your parents. Sit down as a family and talk about what are ways we can give. What are ways that you can give of your time? How can you, how can you share Jesus with others in your classrooms at school? Let's make another shoebox. Let's send school supplies. Let's do what we can so that you as a family can come up together. This is not just for moms and dads, but kids, listen up. God is calling you to serve in amazing ways. Let's not continue to compare ourselves out of guilt or obligation, but instead, let's let the Holy Spirit transform us. Let's give thanks for all that God has given us. And instead of holding so tight, in gratitude, let us give away what God has given freely as the conduit of God's outpouring love. Let's be so overflowing with God's grace that we give so naturally from a place of security and identity in Jesus Christ instead of security and identity in the shoes that I'm wearing or the job that I'm in or the paycheck that I get every week or month or whatever. Let us be challenged to go from here to see this new perspective and to put God at the beginning and God at the end and grace all the way through it. So as you leave here today, saturate in Jesus. That's your job this week. Before you come back with your card next week, saturate in Jesus. Be filled by his love and grace. Pray that you would do his will in this world. Let us trust in God's provision soaking in the love of Jesus, and let us be free from fear, overflowing with the love of Christ. Let us pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you continue to pour into us even when we are selfish, when we're lost, when we're scared, and when we hold so tightly to the things of this earth. Remind us of our identity in you that we are nothing without you, and we have nothing to give without the grace that you give to us. God, we pray that these words would sink deeply, that Jesus' words of it being more blessed to give than to receive would hit deep in our hearts, reminding us that first we must receive from God so that we may give. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who literally became poor so that we might have riches for eternity. We thank you for the promises that you give to us, promises for the future, promises for today, and that help us to be obedient each day when we walk with you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your care for us, and we pray that you would lead us and guide us according to your will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.